Hello and welcome to HipCast Hip Tips, sharing expert tips from experts in hip fracture care. My name is Karen Lee and I'm a senior orthopaedic physiotherapist working at the Prince of Wales Hospital in Sydney, Australia. And I'm also a project officer at the Australian New Zealand Hip Fracture Registry. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which the ANZHFR operates. I share my acknowledgements to all elders past, present and emerging. Today, I have Professor Cathy Sherrington from the University of Sydney, Australia, and physiotherapist, Mr. Brett Baxter from Princess Alexandra Hospital, Brisbane, and Ms. Rebecca Ferrier from the Prince Charles Hospital, Brisbane, Australia. They'll be joining me today to share our hip tips. Welcome, Brett, Rebecca, and Kathy, and welcome to our HIPCAST listeners. Thanks for joining me. Uh, now let's talk top tips. Now, our first physiotherapy top tip from Brett is physiotherapy intervention early and as intense as possible. Now, Brett, at your hospital in Princess Alexandria, Princess Alexandra, um, how do you ensure your patients receive early and intense physio intervention? Thanks very much for the question, Karen. What I'd like to say initially is, is just in relation to the question, what we're talking about here isn't necessarily physiotherapy alone intervention, because if it was that, it would indicate that only physiotherapists should be providing that intervention. I guess what we're talking about here this morning is, is, is perhaps more a bit of a mobility intervention. That's what we're talking about. And it includes things like, you know, positioning in bed. It includes things like bed mobility, patients transfers, their walking, them sitting out of bed and changing of positions. But certainly it's an intervention that lots of different people are involved in. When I think about early intervention, there's a couple of points that I'd like to raise here. The first, I think, is that this is a great group of patients to see preoperatively. Sometimes it's difficult, depending on what time they arrive on the ward, the amount of time they spend in our emergency department, and then how quickly they are getting to theatre. But certainly if the opportunity presents, it's something that I would encourage your listeners to do. Seeing this group of patients preoperatively gives you a first-hand appreciation of their, their cognitive status, allows you to ask questions of them around their pre-morbid pre function, but also gives that excellent opportunity to provide education, both to the patient and their significant others, about what's going to happen next. This is probably in relation to the fact that we would hope to get them up and about moving as quickly as possible. If we can undertake this education before the operation, include the family and significant others in that education, that it doesn't come as a, as a surprise when the physiotherapy ter physiotherapist turns up you know, very quickly after the operation and is encouraging the patient to, to move and get out of bed. Um, and it also provides an opportunity to provide the education around why these things are so important to the care of the patient. I guess that's, that's you know, a couple of points that I want to raise around the early nature of the intervention that we're providing. From an intensive perspective, a couple of things that come to mind here are, well, how often is this patient being seen postoperatively? Not only how often, but also what does the intervention involve? So uh, 
are we talking about physiotherapy intervention that's in, involved uh, with bed exercises? Are we talking about transferring the patient to a chair quickly after the operation? Sorry, when we talk about um, uh, who's involved, we can talk a bit further about that as well. And that leads into my final point, which is who's the intervention provided by? Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Brett. Well, it sounds like um, the emphasis really is on the mobility intervention early on rather than the physiotherapy intervention. And um, I think the early and intense um, as possible intervention, it fits in really nicely with the, uh, with the results from the high intensity physiotherapy for hip fractures RCT that Dr. Lara Kimmel did a few years ago. Uh, now, our next top tip from Brett is uh, coordinated care is best. Can you please expand on this point and tell our listeners what it looks like in a hospital setting? Yeah, certainly, Karen. I guess uh, working in an acute orthopaedic unit, that's the predominant experience that I've had around in this area. And again, if we talk about early and intense acute rehabilitation, if this is the sole domain of the treating physiotherapist, they're going to find it quite difficult to be able to provide that, uh, that level of intensity. So what we're talking about here is coordinated care. We're talking about things like the assisting in nursing, feeling empowered and having the skills to be able to assist these patients after a fractured neck of femur to reposition in bed. We're talking about the physiotherapist and the nursing staff working together to achieve a first mobility to the toilet and shower. We're talking about a physiotherapy assistant with the knowledge and skills to work with the enrolled nurse to get a patient out of bed to sit for the next meal. We're talking about a culture of a ward where a patient sits up for each meal rather than having that meal in bed. We're talking about the dietitian who seeks out the nurse to assist them to get the patient onto the weigh scales. I found in my experience that if all members of the team are working together to achieve share goals, and these goals are shared with the patient and the family, as well as the wider team, then the outcome is the sum total of all these efforts, not just the best effort of a sole physiotherapist and what we can achieve independently. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Brett. Like when, when we're working on the wards, we really want to take the opportunity to have the patient sitting out of bed as much as possible and partaking in all their ADLs as much as possible. And the philosophy that we have um, at our, on our ward is that um, the patient should really be in bed only for resting or sleeping or if they're being transported for, um, for a test or something, something along the lines of that. Yeah, Karen, we'll take we'll take you up on that point as well, just to discuss, um, because what I don't think is sitting up for extended periods is necessarily the right approach with these patients. In that, I think we also need to factor in, as with any elite athlete, that rest is a very important part of the rehabilitation process as well. So, you know, I often find um, there's this misconception that the patient needs to sit up for as long as possible. And if you go to see a patient after they've been out in a chair for three to four hours, mm. they're exhausted. Um, so I think uh, it's probably about regular, regularly sort of changing positions. So 
um, mm. the patient is actively sitting up, but then also is actively resting in bed as well. So, you know, I guess I guess that's a point to make as well. Yeah, that's a that's a good point in that it has to be a combination of um, of resting and and uh, mobility and activity. Um, so, your comments about uh, empowering the MTT. MDT team to mobilize a patient. It's um, really well supported by the research from the Boost project that's led by Marie March. And that's looking at how the existing non-physio workforce can be trained to deliver high quality and post-op exercise uh, for patients with hip fracture. Um, now, Rebecca, do you have anything to add about the coordinated care approach at the Prince Charles Hospital? Yes, Karen, and thanks for your question. I completely agree with your thoughts, Brett. And at the Prince Charles Hospital, we've always had a huge culture on interdisciplinary care. So like you've suggested, you know, there's a lot of boundaries that are blurred between our siloed professions. In fact, we jump out of our silos as soon as we walk onto our ward and put the patient first. I really like to add that progression in these patients takes many forms. Sometimes our junior workforce come through and think about moving this patient further, faster every day without realising how vulnerable these patients and how variable these patients can be. I think progression in our hip fracture cohort is more about increasing frequency of mobility opportunities that are meaningful for our patients. So I reflect on what Brett says, often our patients do sit too long. So moving positions every hour or two is key. They can be very fearful based on their trauma and just essentially their journey into hospital. So tasks that are meaningful, such as toileting, a hair wash, a shower, a brush of teeth, a mealtime sit out, a transfer to a wheelchair to spend time with their family in the sun or off the ward as they progress. These sorts of therapy type tasks can assist in motivation and engagement in an otherwise painful and terrifying recovery. Thanks Rebecca and Brett for your comments about coordinated care. Um, now, everyone may know that the quality statement in the clinical care standard states that a patient with hip fractures offered mobilization without the restriction on weight bearing the day after and at least after surgery and at least once a day, uh, depending on the patient's clinical condition and agreed goals of care. Um, I wanted to know what everyone's thoughts are on enhanced recovery after surgery or ERAS principles for this trauma population. Um, I know for our elective hip uh, and knee replacements, uh, we do mobilize patients on the day of surgery now. And should we be offering hip fracture patients the same opportunity to mobilize on the day of surgery? And, um, and what do you think the limitations are? Well, Karen, it's an interesting concept for sure. And it's one we're looking to take up here at Prince Charles. Uh, in general, I think we all know that our hip fracture patients uh, varied in, in their presentation prior to admission. So I think the preoperative optimization of these patients and the principles of ERAS around that can be done perhaps better than they're currently being done. And the preoperative screen of those patients that are perhaps high functioning, cognitively intact, the ones that might be getting a total hip replacement for improvement in function overall, uh, these are the patients I think that can be considered for day of surgery mobility and really should be considered uh, to get up on the day of their operation and certainly other factors like their analgesia, 
you know, limited use of PCA in this population, their, their epidural or spinal-based anaesthetic versus general anaesthetics, their pre-optimization carbohydrate drinks if required. Again, it may not be for all patients as a blanket rule, but for a certain group of our hip fracture patients, if we've screened them well preoperatively, I think we could stream them into this pathway of more ERAS style principles. That's sort of my take on things. I'm not sure about what you guys think, Brett or Kathy. Yeah, thanks, Beck. I think um, we often find that uh, facilities that are implementing those ERAS pr principles, you know, I think ERAS is being really all about coordinated care. So I think if you've got a, a unit that's implementing ERAS uh, principles and implementing them well for their elected patients, you'll see a real overlap or extension of that into some of these trauma patient groups as well. And, you know, I think they will tend to treat this group of patients uh, very well, but you know, utilizing some of those ERAS principles. Yeah, that you know, sounds very sensible to me. I think I think we need to remember the variability in people after hip fracture, um, and really look at you know tailoring our approaches to people's level of frailty and sort of previous physical functioning as well. Yeah, I think they're all very good points. Um, and uh, in terms of looking at those barriers and enablers of early mobilisation, um, the ANZHFR have done an acute rehabilitation sprint audit led by Dr. Mitchell Sarkis, and um, those results will be coming out soon. So stay tuned for those results. Uh, now, Rebecca, you've got a top tip about progression of hip fractures post-hemiarthroplasty. Um, can you please tell us our next top tip and um, what you've seen in your experience? Yeah, thanks, Karen. Again, this probably comes from some of the younger workforce that comes through with this real intention to progress patients uh, off their elbow support frame or roll later onto their wheelie walkers or off aids altogether. And I'm a little mindful that these lateral approaches that surgeons choose to do for our hemiarthroplasty patients can really disrupt that gluteal attachment. And sometimes these patients have got, you know, quite a frail gluteal attachment anyway, and it takes a long time for that to scar up you know, six to 12 weeks at times. So for us to take a, a walking aid away from these patients too quickly, it tends to lead to a, a significant antalgic gait and can then lead to chronic lateral hip pain that can be very difficult to reverse. So I guess I'd just say don't progress these patients that have hemiarthroplasties done through lateral approaches off their aids too quickly. Be really mindful of their gait pattern and think about supporting that gluteal attachment as it heals. Mm, that's a really good point, Rebecca, and uh, maybe something that not every one of our listeners have thought about. Um, so thanks for bringing that to light. Um, our next top tip from Rebecca is take the opportunity to enhance recovery after discharge from hospital after a hip fracture. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about your work in this area at the Prince Charles Hospital? Yeah, Karen. Look, we did some research a number of years ago and found that the community dwelling patients after discharge really weren't doing as well as we anticipated. And these were the cream of the crop patients. These were the ones that we thought would be, you know, the top performers. We saw these patients at six weeks and at 18 weeks, and a lot of them had fallen over and, and they were really 
in a lot of pain and certainly not confident. So I would encourage our listeners to, you know, be mindful that recovery after hip fracture, after discharge from hospital can take weeks or months for patients to gain pre-fracture confidence, if ever. And by then, these patients are often discharged from our acute or post-acute services as they're seen to be safe at home. Checking back in after six weeks can empower them to safely take the next steps to re-engage with physical activities such as community access, social outings, which in turn then improves their physical function and balance confidence. We're lucky we now run a physio-led hip fracture post-surgical review clinic that we do in conjunction with our orthopaedic registrars. It's a collaborative model that really helps enable this community integration in these patients that would normally have just come in for a surgical follow-up. To me, that sounds like a great approach. Um, So we really know that there are, um, there's evidence of benefit from further physiotherapy input in these type of patients. But, you know, realistically, we're not going to be able to have the resources to offer intensive, you know, one-on-one ongoing therapy. I mean, some of the most effective trials in um, rehabilitation after hip fracture have actually involved six months of three times a week outpatient services. Uh, That's obviously not going to be realistic in a lot of our settings. So I think we really need to be kind of thinking laterally and thinking about other ways of giving um, these people expert input and expert guidance, um, but in a way that's realistic within our health systems. Um, And so to me, having physiotherapy advice linked in with those um, orthopedic follow-ups yeah just sort of makes perfect sense and I think it's really the the sort of model that we should be exploring further. Mm, I completely agree that clinic that physio-led hip fracture post-surgical review clinic sounds excellent and um, I'm sure some of our listeners would, would be really keen to learn about how they can make this work in their own hospital. I know that um it will certainly be something that I would look into for the hospital I work in. Uh, Rebecca, would you be happy to share your contact details in the episode notes? Yes, of course. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Uh, now, our last top tip comes from Professor Cathy Sherrington from the University of Sydney. Uh, can you share with us your physiotherapy top tip? And can you also please tell our audience about the latest evidence available for the care of our patients after hip fracture? Um, Sure. So um, we've been working on a Cochrane review. It's not quite um, published yet, but um, probably by the time a lot of people listen to this episode, it hopefully will be. Um, And so Nikki Fairhall is the first author in in this, um, and it updates the current evidence about um, basically improving mobility after hip fracture. Um, And we've actually found now 22 trials um, in the post uh, usual discharge phase. And we now actually have high certainty evidence um, that interventions focusing on mobility can indeed improve mobility. Um, And the types of interventions that were most effective there were really additional exercises targeting balance, walking and functional tasks. So the sorts of things that we were talking about earlier. 
Um, and with um, potentially the addition of, of um, strength training or endurance training as well in some of the studies. Um, other studies looked at electrical stimulation, but yeah, it really um, wasn't clear what the impact of that was. Um, and so to me, there's really quite a mismatch between what the evidence says about what can be achieved and how we can improve physical function um, and the type of services that we're currently providing. Um, so to me, we need to really be thinking laterally and looking at um, other ways of following people up um, and supporting them to, to be active and to undertake the types of exercises that are likely to maximise their recovery. Um, and so we've heard about um, the clinic that Rebecca talked about. I think I think that's a great model. Um, other things that um, people have been talking about or doing have been um, using health coaching, um, also a kind of efficient or less you know, resource intensive way to try and offer some of that specialised advice. Um, people are linking with community exercise. Um, so if we can really have some specialised input alongside community exercise so that we can be confident that that um, these patients are being catered for appropriately. Um, and also telehealth um, opportunities, you know, potentially have, um, yeah, have, have some scope there as well, um, as well as you, um, working with other professions. So as, as we've talked about before, so, you know, really the, the size of the problem is such that there's, um, you know, we all need to work together to work out how to really maximise outcomes for these people. Thanks. Well, that sounds really exciting, Kathy. We're going to keep an eye out for this co latest Cochrane review. Um, if you follow us on Twitter at ANZHFR, we'll put up a link as soon as it's released. And um, thank you, Kathy, for telling us about what sort of um, challenges there would be to delivering this um, physiotherapy post-discharge. So um, as you mentioned before, look, looking at the new models and, um, and looking at um, telehealth, uh, health coaching, um, community exercise. So um, that's really great. Uh, now I wanted to um, thank everyone for listening and I wanted to thank our special guest Professor Professor Kathy Sherrington from the University of Sydney, uh, Mr Brett Baxter from Princess Alexandra Hospital and Ms Rebecca Ferrier from the Prince Charles Hospital for joining us today for our Physio Hip Tips. Now to summarise for our listeners, our hip cast top tips for Physio are physiotherapy intervention early and as intense as possible, uh, and more particularly mobility intervention, as Brett mentioned. Uh, coordinated care is best, looking for opportunities to mobilize your patients. Enhancing hip fracture recovery after discharge from hospital. Taking care when progressing patients uh, with hemiarthroplasty fixation after that lateral approach. And as Kathy mentioned, um, the latest evidence tells us that physio expertise is very valuable after hip fracture, including that post-discharge phase. Uh, we'll be putting up all the resources that were mentioned in this episode in the episode notes. And thank you everyone for listening. And until next time, stay hip. <laughs>